Hi, Origin Podcast listeners. Devin here. Sorry for taking a bit of a podcast hiatus. We've had a lot going on since our last episode. You can catch up on everything on our website, but since we last checked in, we've added a partner and have continued to invest in new companies as well as existing investments. Today's episode is a little different. For Origin Ventures' 20-year anniversary, we're putting together a 20 for 20 series, wherein we discuss what Origin has done since its foundation in 1999, key moments, and a history of the firm. And who better to get into Origin's history than our founders, partners Steve Miller and Bruce Barron? For this episode, Steve, Bruce, and I chatted about how and why they founded Origin Ventures, how the venture capital landscape in Chicago and beyond has changed, what they've learned after two decades in VC, and what's next for the firm. With all due respect to past guests, this was the most meaningful episode for me personally to record, and I hope you get a lot out of it too. Enjoy! Okay, I am here with Steve Miller and Bruce Barron, two co-founders of Origin Ventures. We're going to talk a little bit about how and why they founded Origin, what they've learned over the years, and what their experience has been like building this venture capital firm. So, Steve and Bruce, thanks for coming in. Our pleasure. So, why don't we start with, uh, if you could quickly walk through how you guys met and how you started working together. So, it was 1998, and uh, I had been at my family's company, a company called Quill, which was in the office product business. And um, we sold that company to Staples. I wanted to then take some of that capital from the sale of that business and some of the experience I got uh, helping build the e-commerce part of that company and invest those things into e-commerce startups uh, as a venture capital investor. I didn't know the first thing about venture capital, though, and so I started networking, and it was suggested that I meet this guy named Bruce Barron, and so we had lunch together. Yes, we had lunch. It was August of, uh, I think it was August of 1998 when we first had lunch together. At that time, I was uh, running a, a small biotech company. I was an entrepreneur, CEO of a small biotech company, and I remember when uh, Steve called, we just decided to have lunch together, and that's how it all began. That's great. Once you had sort of met and kind of saw what each other were up to and what you were doing, you know, when did the real let's work together connection, when did when did that come about? So we had lunch together and I uh, understood what Steve was looking for. I was happily involved running a biotech company at the time. So uh, Steve was looking to network. So I made some introductions for Steve and said, let's, you know, let's get together again and um, see how things are going. And so that was, you know, the beginning and Steve started in earnest to do a good, a good amount of networking. Right. Uh, but it was definitely within, it was within a year from the time that we first met that we started investing together, that yeah. we formed Origin Ventures and started investing together. Mm-hmm. We hit it off really from, from the very beginning, uh, even from our first uh, lunch together, we knew that we have the same values, the same value systems. We know a lot of the same people. It was interesting that we had never really met each other until then because yeah. there's so many people that we have in common, uh, having grown up in similar communities. And so we, uh, we we really hit it off and knew that that if we worked together that we wouldn't we wouldn't have to convince each other, oh, this is how this is how you do business. This is how, uh, this is what your values should be because we we really share uh, those a, a lot of those same values. Great. Yeah. You've, you've mentioned those values a couple times now. Can you dive a little bit deeper and sort of talk about 
what those values are, how you were able to identify them in each other, and how, how that led to building origin in the, in the way that you have, how it informed some of your work. Sure. So in no particular order, family is always the most important thing. Uh, business does not trump family. family. Work, you work hard, but uh, the reason why you do work is because you, you are supporting, you're supporting your family. And you always do business in an, in an honest, ethical way. You always pay for what you get and you treat people the way that you expect to be treated. Uh, those, are, those are some examples of the, the kinds of values that, that we share. I wish I could remember there's three F's that some people try to seek. Uh, fame, fortune, and the third one is eluding me right now. But Steve and I, our three F's were always faith, family, and friends. And okay. uh, Steve points out the way that you know the, the way that you treat people should be the way that you want to be treated as well. And in business, um, that's not always the way people run their business and the way that they treat people. And from an early start, from when we got to know each other, we realized that we we both had a, a high degree of concern for our family, uh, for our friends, relationships, and that business could be done in a way where you could be, as Steve pointed out, ethical, fair, and putting everyone's interests uh, at a high level. Not to jump ahead too much, but I think, you know, as we've, as we've grown the team, which we'll talk about, and as we've added, you know, firm-wide values, I think also you see that reflected in how we comport ourselves today, right? Our Company values are all about, you know, it's the entrepreneur first. You often say, Bruce, it's a service business, right? You're, you're, you're primarily serving the entrepreneurs. So that's nice to hear that that was sort of in the groundwork for the company. Right. Well, as a venture capitalist, we serve our entrepreneurs and we want them to build their companies and help them. We also serve our limited partners, right. people who are committed, have committed their funds in us. We have a fiduciary responsibility to manage those funds in, in, in the way that they want them to be managed and to maximize the value. But we judge our success not so much by financial wealth and, and wealth creation for ourselves, but more so by the number of jobs we create, mm-hmm. the wealth we've helped create of the entrepreneurs that we've invested in and management teams that we've uh, financed as well. Yeah. So that's a nice segue here. Uh, speaking of, you know, sort of the ecosystem and the job creation, what was the what was it like in Chicago in '99 trying to start a venture capital firm? Then, have you ever seen a Western movie? You know where there's tumbleweeds going through the town and very few people live there. Yes, that was kind of like the <laughs> tech and startup and venture ecosystem yeah. in the late '90s in Chicago. There was not a lot going on. What there was going on were very fragmented efforts. The state may have had a little bit of an effort. The city may have had an office. Various universities were trying to do you know one or two things. There might have been a law firm or two that was doing something, but there there really wasn't a cohesive community. And so it was, uh, it's totally different now, 20 years later, and it's great to see. Uh, and I, I'd like to, I'd like to think that Origin Ventures has been a part of helping to make that happen. The investments that we've made in Chicago over the years, probably most notably the Grubhub investment. When we first invested in Grubhub, it was five employees. Now they have a thousand employees in Chicago. Yeah. And, and so uh, certainly things like 1871 is a, that's a manifestation of example yeah of how far the ecosystem in Chicago has come from where it was back then. It's taken a lot of people, a lot of investment by a number of people, a number of different firms. A lot of things have happened. A lot of stars have aligned to help that happen. But success begets success. And when you have some successful companies in Chicago that were started here, that were funded here locally, 
that grew here and that had successful exits here, I think that you know helps a snowball sort of virtuous cycle effect that has really impacted the Chicago ecosystem now. Reflecting back to those early days, uh, I can recall attending conferences and meetings. Uh, there was an individual, uh, he was very loud and obnoxious. He would, I'll say his name. You can refer to the, the term as Gadfly. He was a Gadfly. He was a Gadfly. His name was Ron May. He sort of was the first blogger in the local Chicago community yeah. in the tech world. Even though, you know, he was disruptive in a lot of meetings, uh, he was a character and he brought some color to the, the early, early West. And the other thing that's interesting that we don't really talk much about is that our firm started in 1999. And uh, at the time, there was a lot of activity around the tech scene around the country. Chicago was certainly behind. But shortly thereafter, the dot-com bubble burst in the early, you know, late 2000, 2001. And the fact that that Oregon Ventures started right before that dot-com bubble burst is somewhat of a credit to us that we were able to, to... stay with our concept and our investment philosophy, uh, even during downturns. And we've, you know, we've seen that downturn. We've seen the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. And a lot of the things that we've learned from, from those situations and the disciplines that, that we employed during those times, I think have helped us to perpetuate the firm and to grow the firm. Just kind of a credit to you guys for not sort of going back and saying, oh, you know, we tried it, didn't work, let's go start another company or work on a corporate team, right? Well, the interesting, and maybe, you know, this is somewhat contrary to how we like to see our entrepreneurs, we like to see them all in. Yeah. Uh, you know, the iteration of Origin Ventures Fund Number 1, which we launched in 99, was our own capital. And Steve was was actively involved on a day-to-day basis, networking, but also doing other philanthropic things as well. I was still running a biotech company for several years. So we were not all in, and we didn't have a game plan to become a firm that is launched for funds. So pressure was a little bit different than Mm -hmm. we typically see on our entrepreneurs who go in and are all in to, to build a business. So our, our history is a little bit different than a, a typical entrepreneur who sets out with a plan mm-hmm. and measures himself or herself against the plan. Fund one was 100% consisted of our capital, our personal capital. We did not go out and raise any money from any outside investors mm-hmm. in fund one. For one, one reason was because I didn't know how we were going to do, how successful we were going to be. And I didn't really want the pressure of having other people's money and the responsibility that there would be. Uh, once we had some success in Fund One, though, we then started to grow into the idea that, oh, you know what, maybe we, we're either good at this or maybe a little lucky or maybe probably both. Uh, but I felt more comfortable with the concept of doing this in a more formalized way and going and finding additional investors, outside investors to come and be our limited partners. Yeah, that's a good explanation. Um, so let's, before we jump into Fund 2 and talk about one of the big highlights from there, um, let's talk a bit more about Fund 1. So it was your personal capital you mentioned. What was the first check that you wrote from Origin Fund 1? That was a half a million dollar check yeah. written to a company called iNest Realty. Yeah. Uh, at the time we invested, the founder was the only employee, the CEO. He had to build a team. Uh, his business model was that he uh, was online offering to represent new home buyers as the real estate broker. He featured new home builders as a two-sided marketplace, Mm -hmm. generating consumer demand on one side, 
featuring builders on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there was one individual who was working in his home at the time yeah. when we made our first investment. And we took a seat on the board. One of us, Steve, had a seat on the board. I mm-hmm. had an observa- observation role. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both attended every board meeting. And it was through that investment that we really sort of figured it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we developed our MO uh, of being more than just a silent partner writing a check and then seeing what happened. We Leveraging our business experience, leveraging our strategic thinking, leveraging the networks that we have for the benefit of the of the companies that we were investing in. iNest had a, a terrific founder, Andy Wolf, great guy, had a great operating background. One thing that I remember distinctly was how tough he negotiated with us as we were negotiating the deal to invest in his company. He was really a tough negotiator. Yeah. And there was an old saying uh, Mike Dicka had about George House that he threw nickels around like manhole covers. Uh, I don't think Andy was quite that. Uh, stingy, but close. <laughs> the good news was that your, your your stripes don't change. You know, once once the investment happened, right. he was then it was our nickels he was throwing around like manhole covers, yeah. which was fine. Yeah, that he wasn't just going to go out and buy a bunch of brand new furniture and all that kind of That's stuff. That's an asset. Right? It was an right, asset, right. right? And that and that helped inform us, and really still to this day, the, the due diligence that we do on management teams begins from the very beginning. We meet them, the communications we have with them. What is their style? What do they do? How do they? How would they negotiate? Mm-hmm. And Andy was was a terrific entrepreneur. That company grew very nicely. We had a great exit. Sold the company to Lending Tree in two thousand four, well before the housing bubble burst. So it was good timing. It was a great learning learning experience for us because he was a very good CEO. And we, you know, he was first time CEO as well. He had worked mm-hmm. at large organizations. He had worked at Morningstar and at Quaker. And I think before that, Arthur Anderson. So it wasn't where he had the pedigree necessarily as a serial entrepreneur. We learned a lot from that experience. Sitting on the board, uh, Joe Mansueto, um, the founder of Morningstar, was another board member mm-hmm. who was on that board. And we, we, we actually interviewed the, uh, the members of his management team and helped him hire his VP of sales, his VP of R&D, his CTO, his yeah, Andy was a Andy is a smart, really smart guy, very hardworking, and also another thing that that is important about him that I look for in every founding team that we invest in, even to this day, is he he was self aware and knew he knew what he knew, but he also knew the things that he didn't know. Yeah. He knew that he had a skill set in certain areas, but that he needed to augment that with people who were really good at some other things. He knew he wanted to build a team around him, and that's really important. That was a key to his success. Well, one of the people he brought on, a VP of marketing, was an expert in search engine optimization before there was even a term called search engine optimization. Right. They were getting the iNest website listed very high up in Google search results before anybody knew how to do that. Yeah. And it was really helpful to building the business. And Steve and I recognized in ourselves, similarly, that we had different skills, our business skills. Now, Steve wrote the business plan for Quill's online marketing. Right. It was primarily a catalog business, and mm-hmm. then Steve brought it to the internet in the mid-90s and had a marketing degree from University of Illinois. My background was in accounting and finance. I had a CPA. So our own skill sets were very synergistic, and that yeah. helped us uh, as we helped uh, entrepreneurs to grow their businesses. Yeah. So, right. So we mentioned INS. We talked about Fund 1. What happens next? So we have Fund 2. You said the first time you go out and look for outside capital. What was that process like? And then, you know, talk a little bit about sort of how it changed from fund one to fund two. 
So we didn't go far and wide. We didn't yeah. cast a wide net when it came to fundraising for fun too. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't go from, oh, we're not taking any outside capital to, oh, let's go find outside capital from anybody anywhere. Mm -hmm. I still wanted to walk a little bit before we ran. So yeah, it was late two th it was third quarter 2004 when we had the exit on INES. So in late 2004, I was still running the biotech company and I decided that if we could raise additional capital that I would interested in doing this full-time yeah. so i transitioned and in the beginning of 2005 when we launched fund two mm -hmm. which was 15 and a half million dollars we were the two general partners we only had two other limited partners so there are four partners in total mm -hmm. so as steve said we kept it close because we wanted to walk before we yeah. could run yeah and so we launched that fund in 2005 mm -hmm. and interestingly enough 2005 we made zero investment we did a lot of due diligence on two deals and at the end of the day we were not comfortable Mm -hmm. And we were a little bit shell-shocked by the end of 2005 where we had not made any investments. Right. That would change shortly thereafter. Yes. Yes. There was a little company called Grubhub. So uh, explain a little bit about what you saw in Grubhub back then. You know, what, what led you guys to be interested? Sort of how, how you were able to grow the involvement in that company. Well, one of the things that we saw was that this was a two-sided marketplace, mm -hmm. a two-sided online marketplace. And we had been part of a successful two-sided online marketplace in iNest. So we felt that we were able to bring some value to this company. It was a little startup. It was five people. They had 100 restaurants on the platform, all in Chicago. I had first been exposed to them at the New Venture Challenge at Booth. I was a judge that year, and I saw them. And I was intrigued. I was intrigued by the idea intrigued by the team. Yeah, so the first time I met Grubhub, I think, was possibly at a tech cocktail. Tech cocktail was one of the early networking groups that was uh, formed in Chicago, and we would meet in a, uh, a bar, and some startups would come and present. Matt, uh, Matt Maloney and Mike Evans came and presented, and Steve and I followed up and went to their office, and as Steve points out, there were only five employees. They just hired their fifth employee, mm -hmm. who is the VP of sales. They had 100 restaurants on the platform. They were probably doing around $25,000 of, of revenue. And I know in last year they reported over a billion dollars right. of, uh, of Grubhub revenue. So, I mean, that must have been a wild ride going from, you know, that early six, seven employees all the way to public company acquired seamless, you know, along the way. I mean, what, what, what stuck out to you during that entire process? A lot of things stuck out. The, the first thing was that even the um, trying to get the financing done had some challenges. And recognizing that these two co-founders were not seasoned, uh, certainly not entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. uh, they were, I think, 28, 29 years old. What Steve and I, there were, there were two things that, that we did that I think had a, a lot of value in the early days of Grubhub. Number one we introduced them to Chuck Templeton. Chuck was the founder of Open Table. We had met Chuck several years earlier. We'd done due diligence on a deal that he was CEO of. And what we learned about Chuck from that uh, process was at the end of the day, he said, I don't think you guys should invest in this company. I don't think that uh, this is the right opportunity. I may be leaving this opportunity and I want to be transparent and fair mm -hmm. to you guys. So we learned a lot about Chuck. Yeah. Uh, we also recognized how valuable he could be to a startup, especially in a two-sided marketplace looking at trying to uh, aggregate restaurants as Open Table did. The second thing that we did was uh, they wanted to use our capital and the capital in Series A 
to expand into the next market. And they did a lot of diligence and they had a lot of ideas around what metrics would govern their decision as to what the next market should be. And they determined that the next market should be San Francisco. And we asked to see their build plan. They really didn't have one. So we sat down with them. And I remember this saying, okay, if you want to launch in San Francisco at this date, we're just going to call that T0. Go back a number of weeks and, and, and build a plan specifically of, of, of what things you need to do, when you need to start collecting the menus and entering the menus and how many restaurants do you need and, and you know what's the best time to launch when you have critical mass of, of restaurants and consumers, et cetera. And we forced them to get very granular in that plan. And that plan was the basis for their build plan for all markets that they, that they went into subsequent to going to San Francisco. Yeah. That's an early recollection that I have of the things that we, utilizing our network, utilizing our business experience to help the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the co-founders of Grubhub to think about how you can scale this business and you know what resource. Chuck became a board member with us and actually the first chairman of the board of Grubhub and worked there two days a week and mentored Matt and Mike. It was a, it was a wild run. Uh, it was a great ride mm-hmm. uh, over eight years, right? Not eight, well, we made years. our first, actually it was faster than that. It was a little over six and a half or so because we made the first investment. It was October, late October of 2007 when we wrote our first oh, check. Okay. And they just celebrated the five-year anniversary right. of their IPO, April the 4th of this year. Yeah, that's great. And I think that, you know, still people think of Grubhub when they think of origin and vice versa, obviously. But, you know, obviously your experience has, has spanned much more than just that one company. So, you know, given that this is for the 20th anniversary of origin, what would maybe be some lessons, uh, things that you've really taken from your experience in doing this for two decades? Number one is the people. Steve and I have been very blessed that we've been able to handpick the people who we've added to our team. Uh, adding Brent Hill when we launched Fund 3 in 2013. Uh, Steve had known Brent uh, actually longer than I've known Brent. I met Brent. He was one of the early investors in the Series A round of Grubhub. He was involved as a board observer. He was a a mentor to them. He mentored the team through the New Venture Challenge in 2006. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we invested in 2007 and through our due diligence process, I met Brent and we're so fortunate to have, have Brent as our third partner. Jason Heltzer, with all the years of experience he had with a previous firm in venture capital, uh, our two senior associates who we've added over the years, Prashant and Scott, uh, have been great. Uh, Devin, who manages our, our, our platform team and our marketing, and our new partner, Alex, as well, who uh, just joined us recently. All these people share our values and share the culture that, that Steve and I feel is so important to, uh, to our firm. Yeah, uh, that's that's probably the most important lesson is you can't do it yourself. That no matter what it is you want to accomplish, you need you need a team around you to add and build upon what you what your skills are and what your goals are to be able to, for you to achieve them. Um, you know, other lessons learned. Usually, it takes longer and costs more. Whatever it is you're talking about, that's <laughs> usually you know, building a house or building a company or Whatever it is, uh, another another important lesson is that when we do due diligence on a team, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, we we do that due diligence starting from when we first meet somebody, even before that. When we when we get a first email, are they sloppy? Are they spelling something wrong? Are they what is their attitude? What's their attitude when you challenge them on something? Do they get defensive, or do they support something with data? We we are constantly trying to understand. 
well, how are these people going to be to work with? Are they going to treat their company as their baby? And that anything anybody else says wrong or badly about their baby is going to, is going to be a personal insult? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to treat it as if they are a shareholder? And they want to maximize the value of their shares and their ownership. Uh, that, of course, would align them with somebody like us as an outside investor. Right. So, you know, it's a courting process, the due diligence. And as Steve pointed out earlier, uh, Andy Wolf is an example. The way that he negotiated with us was tough, but it was fair. Yeah. And we recognized after we invested that he was comporting himself that same way. And he was representing the company the same way he represented it when he negotiated with us. When we had some challenges early on with Grubhub in the financing process, and we saw how the two co-founders dealt with some setbacks, we recognized that here, you know, because not all businesses are a straight line and there's going to be challenges, there's mm-hmm. going to be setbacks, and how, uh, how the two co-founders handled a, a setback in that process made us feel more comfortable about their ability to run the company. Hopefully, we can continue to, to do what we've done because we, we chose to do this because we wanted to help entrepreneurs. Yeah. When Steve and I met, one of the things that was sort of clicked for the two of us was, okay, we wanted to invest. But where do we want to invest? Do we want to invest in late stage? Do we want to invest in early stage startups? And we chose startups because we thought that we could have the greatest impact and we could get the most enjoyment out of helping young entrepreneurs start their businesses and, and seeing them grow. And we recognized years ago that we were successful entrepreneurs as well. We started Origin Ventures from scratch with our own capital, made investments in Fund 1, grew to Fund 2 where we made seven investments. Uh, it was a 2005 vintage fund. And again, several years later, we had the, uh, the economic downturn and economic financial crisis right in the middle of we were deploying capital, and we still came out with a successful, successful outcome with Grubhub. We, to this day, in 2019, we have two companies that are going to be successful outcomes yep. in Fund 2, um, which will return the fund another one or two times that we're still working on. Yep. And you know, we're hopeful that the things that we've learned over the years, and we've helped entrepreneurs building their business, we can impart to, to you, Devin, and, and, and to our senior associates and mm-hmm. uh you know, work to build Origin Ventures and continue to build companies because that's what Steve and I set out to do. Yeah, I think I think that's great. And um, you know, so we've we've talked a lot about you know the last twenty years in this last half hour or so. But you know, let's 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 look towards the future. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on what is going to happen with Origin Ventures. What does the future look like? You know, for us, as we mentioned, we just added a new partner. We've we've grown the team. We we have grown our LP base. What do you think the future looks like for our firm? I think the, the future is really bright. We, you know, Bruce and I are the old men in this firm, and and we've done, I think, a very good job of, of building the team, as we talked about earlier, with uh, a bunch of really good, quote-unquote, younger folks. Well, def- no, no quotes. De- they are definitely, <laughs> they, they are quantitatively younger than we are. And that, you know, that's part of, listen, to to... To build a future, you need you, know, you need, I think, a healthy strategy of succession planning, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that's part of what Bruce and I are doing. You know, in addition to bringing in folks who who are really smart people, who are really good investors, uh, we're also you know, we have an eye on the on the future of Origin Ventures, yeah. and so I think we're very well positioned. 
you know, Steve and I joke with each other that uh, we probably couldn't get into our alma mater if we applied today uh, based on the standards of which they're accepting students today. We probably couldn't get a job at our firm because the standards have gone up so greatly since the two of us you know, founded the firm. It's a different world today. It's very competitive. There's a lot more money chasing, a lot more deals. You have to be a lot more selective. I'm very pleased that that when you know that Brent joined us and, and that he's located in Salt Lake City, I think that you know, there are differentiators that make Origin Ventures better than most other firms. It starts with the people, hardworking, uh, fair-minded, uh, but having a, a, a an office in Salt Lake City makes us much different from other firms in the Chicago area. And the fact that we've gone through 20 years and gone through cycles before, as I mentioned, and you know, saw the dot-com bubble burst and we saw the financial crisis and we coached all of our CEOs at that time. We said, I don't know when capital is going to be available again in 2008, 2009. Right. You better figure out a plan to make sure that the money that you have right now lasts as long as it can. We sat uh, with our hands uh, in our pockets for a while, not making investments until we saw how things straightened out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who joined this industry in the last you know, five years, 10 years or so, haven't seen any downturns. have only seen things in, in one way. And I think the value that we bring by seeing those things and recognizing that it's not always roses, uh, I think it helps us in the way that we look at investing, and it helps the way that we can advise our uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs. The foundation that's been built in, in these 20 years for Origin Ventures, it really, really bodes well for, for the future. We have, a, we have a great team. We have a track record of realized results. We have a brand that is pretty well known. Uh, around the country, we have co-invested with a number of A-list blue chip growth investors and have generated, helped generate returns for them. Uh, all of that it is a is a really good combination for Origin Ventures going forward. You know, it's easy for um, someone to talk to the successful entrepreneurs who we backed and mm-hmm. talk to them about how we supported them and how much we helped them. I take some pride in the fact that if you talk to some of the CEOs who didn't lead successful exits and um, we ended up not investing follow-on money because we had other places that we thought we could do better with those funds. But we worked as hard as we could to make sure that they had soft landings and that their uh, their team would have a place to work. And even though the financial outcome for us was not great, we worked as hard as we could to make sure that those places had a home. And I take great pride in that. And I think if you talk to some of the CEOs who led some of those less successful companies, they will have uh, as complimentary things to say about Origin Ventures as the successful exits. I think so, too. Um, anything else you guys want to mention while you're uh, on the air here? I, I think one, one last thing I'd like, I'd like to mention, and I think it's kind of an example of the values, that, of living the values that we've always tried to live as we've, as we've built and grown this firm. Uh, and that is, uh, we want to mention the Origin Ventures Academy for Entrepreneurial Leadership at the University of Illinois. It is something that Bruce and I funded personally with a, with a personal gift to the University of Illinois to name this academy, which focuses on working with students and faculty who are entrepreneurs and helping them grow companies. We want to encourage people to explore this sector, to explore these opportunities to, to build and grow and grow companies. The venture community at large, tends to be a generous community. 
I think that's one of the things that attracted Steve and I to the community. We believe that giving back is, is very important. All right. Thanks for coming on, guys. Anything else? Thanks.